Hello, and welcome to the first season of Havas Media's Meaningful Media podcast. I'm your host, Ben Downing, and over the next few months, I'll be talking to a range of guests, brand marketeers, agency voices, academics, policymakers, researchers, consumers, and hopefully some of you listening about meaningful media, the media that matters to them and to us, and just why it's so important today. In this episode, I talk with Sarah Ivey, Chief Strategy Officer, Havas Media North America, about tech-driven media experiences and the challenges and opportunities facing brands as they set out to meaningfully engage with consumers in the fast-evolving tech space. From the metaverse to sunrises over Lake Superior, jump into our tech-fueled conversations and take a listen to the podcast. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This is a, a timely discussion and one that I know we're all really excited to have about the intersection of technology and media experience, how they intermediate, tech intermediates media experience. And I'm going to start with a question about you. What's your role here at Havas? And tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into this this crazy industry? It's a great pleasure to be the Chief Strategy Officer of North America for Havas. Um, I have a long history in both media strategy and creative strategy, but also just a student of technology and a student of consumer insight. And the intersection of the two have really, really fascinated me. I've also had the pleasure of working across 35 different countries globally. So to me, it's not just how technology is working within the purview of North America, but also how it works globally. Sarah, you've been doing some research around mind states and their impact on meaningful media. I've actually been lucky enough to have a sneak peek at your work and was struck by quite a few things. It's never been easier to create, but we've also seen more media consumption. So there's lots of media creation, lots of creators, lots of consumption uh, during the pandemic. There's a bit of a dichotomy here, right, between the sort of passive consumption of a, a media experience and, uh, and technology making it so easy to create. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, sort of at the heart of, of the analysis is the fact that people are <laughs> people have an inherent dichotomy in how they're coping with the pandemic. And it's basically, you know, what you should do and what you actually want to do. When it comes to media consumption, it's not actually a dichotomy, it's more like a virtuous cycle. So, you know, when, when people piled into media sort of a relief from, from what they were experiencing COVID, um, they started to dive deeper into topics and experiences that they didn't know that they had a passion for. So in a way that gave birth to the whole micro-creator moment where people found themselves with a point of view and the platforms make it super easy, right, to be a TikToker or whatever you want. And then you, they find themselves being a creator. If you look at somebody like Elise Myers, she was basically a mom who told a story about a date, that she, this horrible line date she had where the guy ordered and had her pay for 100 tacos from Taco Bell. And just the sheer humor in which she told this story, it absolutely, she has millions of followers now. She has deals with Hyundai, for example. So I think anyone can be a creator right now, but I think it's mostly because during that pandemic, there was so much media consumption and people really got into interests and exploring new topics that they never knew that they had a point of view about. That's really interesting. So it's not, it's not a division. It's not a dichotomy. It's just that, Perhaps consumers who wouldn't necessarily have thought of themselves as creators uh, in in this kind of professional sense actually have the time and the space to engage with their interests to to create. Uh, is that is that the case? I think so. And also the, the sort of vegetating side. I mean, there's some really interesting media behaviors that are emerging in, in that area. One of them was spotted in China, and the, <laughs> the name that they're calling it is, is revenge procrastination. <laughs> right. And revenge procrastination is basically after a full day of balancing 
work, home, Zoom fatigue, whatever, women are actually taking to their mobile screens and staying up for two or three hours, scrolling through social feeds, even though they know they should be going to bed. They're on, they're on social feeds. So they're thinking, well, I could do that. And the technology makes it so much easier. There are all kinds of things, like simple things like booms where you can put microphones and cameras and stuff like that. Dead easy to actually create pretty decent content. Yeah, there's been a, a removal of the barriers to creation. And arguably the, the, the sort of last barrier was was temporal. Not for everyone, there were huge amounts of stress and um, difficulty, but there was a there was perhaps a, a temporal um, barrier that was lifted as well. So we saw we saw more people uh, not only vegetating, as you say, but um, uh, I think you call it creating, creating versus vegetating in the report. So I, I want to think about the tech because you you alluded to that there where you were you were talking about the the removal of barriers to creation. Where's technology becoming? complementary and where is it becoming interruptive to our experience of media and uh, our experience of creating media as well? Can you talk about that? Well, my, my gut is, is that technology is becoming less interruptive than ever, sort of coalesce around specific need states, vectors into what people want to create around their lifestyle. I'm going to pick two, two different things. One of them is gaming. So gaming technology is incredibly interruptive. It's interruptive for a reason, Right. So gaming technology was all about immersing you in the experience, but also making you feel part of the experience. The VR headsets that they have right now, some of them are are getting a lot better, of course, but there's a lot of gear. You have to really commit to that gear. You have to commit to putting on the haptic vest. You have to commit to having the gaming chair, right? And when you look at sort of even, I'm I'm going to focus on televisions, for example. Televisions are always sort of, uh, screens are always part of the, um, the experience. They're becoming either more visceral or more furniture-like. The more visceral ones, people are in, you know, engaging in gaming to have that immersive, interruptive, sensory, multi-sensory experience, that's interrupted by choice. And then you have what happens after Zoom fatigue. So the way we're thinking about technology right now, technology is what got us all through the pandemic in a sort of semi-functioning way. But people have a very, again, it's that of two minds. You know you need to use whatever technology that you have to work, but how do you relax at night? So something really interesting we saw at the show at CES this year was uh, screens being more, um, almost more like an art display, something that looks like a, a picture frame, something that looks like you'd like to relax with a, you know, a candle next to your succulent while you put your feet up with your cup of tea. Tech is becoming far more, I want to use the word empathetic, because it's building around experiences that people want to have, similarly in healthcare. So healthcare technology is super interesting to me because um, because of the growth of remote care and because you know we have we have a lot of clients in this space. Um, but bridging the patient journey has been one of the most interesting things about healthcare. So healthcare is sort of bridging off again into those two minds phenomenon where you've got healthcare that seeks to put more empowerment in the patient's hands, and then there's healthcare we call it hacking. And then there's healthcare that actually seeks to help people network more into their, their network of carers. So it's a, a sort of reassurance and empowerment at the same time. But all of those technologies are layered technologies that have been existing for a long time. I mean, when you look at haptics, haptics, some of the patents date back to the 1970s. These aren't new things. I just think technology companies are getting much better at creating experiences that are confluent with the expectations going into it. 
Yeah, absolutely. The technology is getting out of the way uh, or enabling. It's it's not becoming a friction point or it's in, integral to the media experience itself. Something you mentioned about healthcare was was fascinating there and that that in itself is a is a, a creative endeavor. Uh, creators are not just TikTokers. They are also people who are taking some of this technology and creating new experiences for themselves. Can you unpack the healthcare element a bit? About two years ago, I saw some really, really interesting thing at CES. There was actually a company that actually linked a DNA test to your shopping habits. Basically allowed you to scan objects when you went to a Sainsbury's or a waitress or whatever. Um, and it would tell you whether it was in your diet or not, depending on what your DNA predilections are. <laughs> so it, the technology is there to help us live more healthy lives. The interesting thing is media is definitely sitting at the heart of that entire experience. That's what's so interesting about the intersection of media and technology is that media is technology yeah. and technology is media. So we're talking, I guess, here about tech-powered media experiences and experiences of technology informed and assisted by media. What's some of the, the best media experiences powered by tech that you've seen and What's your kind of guidance for brands? I think the best experiences are when the technology isn't immediately apparent. Mm. It's the same thing I say when somebody says, you know, is it a creative-led idea? Is it, is it a media-led idea? The ideas are always best when you don't see the joins, yes. if that makes sense. I struggle with pointing out one particular execution because I think, I think we haven't quite reached that point at which technology feels that embedded. Um, I think we see a lot of experiments. So what we're seeing right now, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the metaverse, is that there's a lot of toes in the water. Almost none of them actually have the functionality or understand the um, the need states to which people come come to technology to actually experience it. So, you know, as much as I would like to say, ooh, that's a great one, I'm really not sure whether there is a great one yet in things like NFTs, for example. Interesting. So... This idea of not understanding the need states, can you mm. uh, unpack maybe how you would go around or how, how brands can better understand the need states when they're coming from a coming to it with a, a, a technical powered execution? So what we're seeing is that we're seeing, and this is actually something that's pretty, pretty normal for US advertisers, is that you see a fair amount of experimentation just in sort of the, the application of the technology. Those experiments are useful. Take pizzas, for example. Probably the most popular food during the COVID-19 COVID pandemic. Oh, I've eaten a lot of pizzas in my time. Exactly. So um, we, see, we see a lot of NFT experimentation in this space. But you just think about NFT and metaverse and pizza. I just, why do, pe why do people come into pizza? They come into pizza because they don't want to cook. Yeah. Right? At, at some point it's just window dressing and it's learning. I mean, companies are coming into it to learn to understand what's going to come next in terms of the, the sort of web three, metaverse, whatever. Um, I think actually the most interesting space to watch right now is in the financial space mm. because I think they have, their need state is a lot closer to, um, especially the NFT space, how people come into that category and what their need states are. One of the one of the few people that I think have got it right is an old, old colleague of mine, Josh Shabtai over in Low Innovation Labs. And Low Innovation Labs, I think, have done a really, really good job of using AR and VR. Well, 
Have you ever painted a wall and hated the color? Yeah. Or bought a kitchen and nothing fit. So, you know, they, they used AR and VR to help people actually design a kitchen, choose a paint color by actually, you know, just moving, <laughs> moving your mobile phone around the wall. That to me is a great example of not an interruptive experience, a super helpful experience, but a great application that answers the consumer needs state. You're removing a pain point in the, cons- in the consumer journey. Yeah, and we're starting to see you know more of those applications in in shopping from whether that be integrated into into apps and marketplaces uh, or the intersection with live shopping. AR is is going to be a very interesting immediate development where there are applications today. So I guess that leads us to the metaverse. Do you have a definition to orientate us first? I think the battle around the metaverse is that right now there's such confusion between the Facebook definition of the metaverse and the real metaverse. And the real metaverse is the world of your imagination powered by technology. That's all it is. And whatever whatever um, techniques we use to create that world of the imagination to me is the metaverse. A fantastically concise definition, right? And I think that's the, the first time I haven't read or heard a definition that is at least three to five sentences long. <laughs> Let's look at the the opportunities and challenges in this space. Uh, we believe there's there's a great deal of opportunity. It's why we've led as an agency with both our metaverse practice and also uh, opening our 69th Havas Village within the Sandbox Metaverse, uh, Sandbox Virtual World. So we're we're going to be really excited to be seeing some of you in the Sandbox. What are the the opportunities and challenges for for brands in this space? Are we seeing consumers and brands jump in now? We are seeing some brands and actually some of our brands within the U.S. in particular are just simply having meetings in the virtual spaces just to get your head around what the experience is. Because the thing is, it's like many other things. You don't know what it is like until you actually experience it for yourself. So I think that's the number one thing for brands to do right now is just to get in there, buy a headset, log in and get in there to experience it. I can tell you that's the world of imagination, but until you experience it for yourself, you will not understand. I think that the experimentation is number one. Number two, we're just, this is so fascinating, right? We're just at the beginning of this journey. Mm. And um, I think one of the biggest challenges that brands will find is to not hop in too fast, right? Because there's, there's a lot of eagerness, there's a lot of positivity around it. Um, experimentation has its role. When you think, for example, of like financial services is a really good example. What role could a metaverse play for a bank? What role could the metaverse play for a cryptocurrency? You really have to be very, very clear on what that world of of the imagination could do for you. Does it remove a pain point in the customer journey like we talked about earlier? Does it provide, um, provide a deeper brand experience? There's so many examples. Exercise is one of them. Right. Supernatural is just it's one of the most popular things on in the metaverse in terms of being able to work out, but also healthcare and uh, mental wellness in the metaverse is a really interesting space. I think that's honestly why there's been so much pushback about Facebook having a, a significant role is because the metaverse is starting to have a very sacred place in people's imagination and it doesn't feel appropriate for anyone to have a large corporate role in that. And your advice to brands around 
get in there, have the experience is, is really key. But that leads me to a question, which is, is this just a sort of uh, metropolitan obsession? Will the vast majority of consumers care about this in the next one year, two year, five years? When is mass adoption? When does this become more than experimentation or more than a way of engaging with an extremely important demographic or segment of your customer base? When does this start to become uh, mainstream? Well, I wish I knew. So I looked at headset sales for 2021 and they weren't nearly where I thought they were going to be. Right. We had a huge rush into 2020. 2020 sales looked really promising. And, you know, headset sales are the bellwether for the, for the entire industry. I think what will happen is that the Apple product will break down a lot of the barriers um, in terms of the sort of not wearing a heavy headset experience. The, the, their, their headset technology is really, really interesting because they're mapping it directly onto your retina. I know that sounds super creepy, but it's actually going to be an amazing experience. And they're looking at making a much lighter sort of interface. Trust Apple to take you know many, many years to get this right, but when they get it right, it will be right. Everyone has an Oculus moment or or a metaverse moment. Mine was the Salvador Dali Museum exhibit. It was one of those things where it was, wow, wow, wow. Because you literally, they flew you through his paintings. And you could actually see them and feel them. And it was trippy and amazing. And I think what we're we're seeing right now is that the metaverse, that the most interesting experiences when you're a non-gamer are the socializing experiences the travel experiences and the sheer, this is, you know, where humans were not meant to go experiences. And and art, art is way ahead of this curve. Art was also ahead of the curve on the NFT. So that's one of the things that I watch for is where does art go first in three to five years time? It won't be massive because let's, I I don't think the price of VR headsets are going to come down. Gaming is going to drive it for sure. But I think you're also going to see a big explosion in, um, being able to experience things that you can't experience anywhere else, right? Haptics are also going to get better. So haptics plus VR are going to make for an, a very, very interesting experience. What really speaks to me in your answer is the way that we understand the consumer adoption is through the media experience, right? These are media experiences. And that's going to be critical to understanding a path forward, not only in the creation of media, doing good media in VR, building meaningful media in VR, but understanding who's going to consume it. We've talked a lot about VR. We've talked about AR. Let's talk about Web3. Now, this is an even more complicated place definitionally. You've kind of talked a little bit about NFTs. What are NFTs and are they... Are they meaningful media? Are they media experiences themselves? Where where do they sit and how should brands be thinking about them? Well, NFT is really non-fungible tokens. They're really an intellectual property play. So it's a way to assign intellectual property rights to any particular piece of digital asset. And they've gone through the cycle of spiking in terms of interest. Everyone had to an NFT. NFT was a new black for a while. But I'm... I'm, my feeling is that the, the bloom has gone off the rose rather quickly because people have piled into it with no, no context whatsoever. Taco Bell has NFT art that you can download for $8.99. So again, why do you come to Taco Bell? You do not come for the Taco Bell art. Okay, so it's funny in a way, but just, it seems like a one-off. NFTs in the gaming space theoretically 
should be a lot more appealing, right? Because there are things that you can actually use within gaming. So you can use an outfit or whatever. And brands definitely have a role in that space. Anywhere where you're sort of living virtually, right? There's a role for brands to be part of that universe as long as it's not interruptive. There are certain types of games that feel really, really strongly about NFTs being awesome and the achiever gamer, right? And all about the badges and stuff like that, that NFTs might actually have some resonance. But there's a solid core of gamers who just feel like they're getting hosed by having to pay for something that it doesn't really add to their gaming experience. So, you know, if we think about that adoption curve, art, okay, art was in NFT very, very early. Um, collectibles, NFT seems, seems to make a lot of sense, but NFTs are not really making their way into the media experience the way people are hoping. The feeling with NFTs, I think, from gamers is there's a, there is a cynicism, but there's also interest in the technology. My worry is the NFT technology itself, it, it seems to be trying to graft itself onto use cases that already exist rather than looking at the technology itself um, and the uniqueness. So I'll give you an example, which is kind of saying in games, okay, like if, if you play an MMO or you play, you know, I, I used to play a lot of Star Trek online. Um, check it out. It's 10 years old. Cryptic Studio is still great. You get unique items. You can, uh, you, you know, you can trade. There's a, there's a big economy. Tying that to NFTs seemed to be not much of an intellectual leap, right? It's yeah. back to media experience What's the experience of the media then with the NFT? It's it's effectively become a, a, a another marketplace. So that's where I think the cynicism from from gamers uh, comes from. Now the question is, will NFTs go away? I don't think so. The challenge for us as people who do media is to think about how they are used to create media experiences. Now an example of that is the NFT itself um, giving you access or or privileges to either a metaverse virtual world or an in-life world. And one of the things that I've been confused to see from brands is uh, that the tests that they've done have been almost like we, we've kind of minted a unique collection and monetized it, rather than we're actually using this as a, as a gateway to an experience, owning the NFT itself, but then the NFT unlocks certain privileges, unlocks uh, a deeper, richer engagement with the brand. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I think that's the challenge with with Web three right now is that, and no one's thought beyond the first step. They're all kind of dead ends, so it's a one off, right? It isn't connected to your point to a deeper brand experience. Yeah, right? just like here's a cool thing. See you bye. Come in next time. It's one of the things with the interoperability of Web three as well. You know, one of the promises was supposed to be you would own this piece of uh, of digital art and be able to take it across worlds and i'm not sure i'm seeing that yet but web3 seems definitionally uh, still in an early place at this at this moment yeah i would say so what what intrigues me about web3 it's, it's implication in terms of participation so the ability for people to participate in in a sort of a, a data protected environment because it has a huge implication on media it has a huge implication in civil society. So I think my interest and concern in this space is how do we envisage media experiences in that world, right? At the moment, it's it's quite difficult to, to engage with Web3. There's, there's quite a technical uh, technical block. There's going to be a, like, there has to be a, an easier way for consumers to engage. There has to be a, a less complicated ecosystem before this gets to mass adoption. Is there any tips you can give brands who want to experiment in this space? Pulling back from what happened during the pandemic, we found that communities 
both local in real life communities and then virtual communities blossomed. And that value of community has becoming, I guess, becoming more and more important, which is why people are detoxing from traditional social media, but they're also re-engaging with other social communities in different ways, in different environments. So I think if we read the tea leaves in terms of how people value community in that participation piece, I think that's the grains of where Web3 should go next. Because I think, I, I think the social platforms are hugely struggling with this. That was one of the fundamental precepts is that there was supposed to be a place where communities met, right? Communities of friends, networks of friends, um, parent groups, whatever. Those are dying off, but they're not, they're going somewhere. So where, where does that go next? And how does that become a better experience from the consumer's perspective? This is really interesting. So perhaps there's an opportunity for, for brands, for the media industry, for us as uh, people who are architects of media experience to think about how to build those communities. Because I know, you know, we've both had this experience. The, the Web3 communities are incredibly passionate, incredibly diverse and consistent but they can also be sometimes a little bit unwelcoming perhaps and even toxic so do brands and media have an opportunity to to take this brilliant technology to take that passion and and build new communities around that i wonder i think it's i think it's less about building Mm. less about co-opting and more about enabling it's making sure that as that community develops you are providing them the tools, the space, the experience, not telling them how. They're going to figure out how, but it's giving them the tools. So that comes to the end of our our time together today. Now, we like to finish the podcast with talking a little bit about the media that you're engaging with at the moment, the media that matters to you. We call it the Meaningful Media Fast Five. Are you ready? I am. What's your meaningful media? Ooh, my meaningful media, don't laugh, is the NHL. I'm a massive hockey fan. You couldn't have called that one, but I'm a massive hockey fan. I, that was actually going to be my second guess. It wasn't. Um, just for a second, unpack what the media experience of the NHL, NHL is uh, National Hockey League, right? There's everything. There's app, there's podcasts. Literally, yeah, there are NFTs in the NHL for sure. Um, signed pucks, merchandise, you name it, you got it. What media do you start your day with? And is it NHL again? Uh, I start my day, unfortunately, with TikTok. There's a guy who, who records the sunrise over Lake Superior every single day. Wow. And that's why I start my day because he was just so, so awesome. That's a really interesting use of TikTok, right? Because the some of the narrative around TikTok is it's engaging, but also quite frenetic. But you're you're using it to have this almost meditative moment. Uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the peace and love TikTok feed. What's your What's your kind of media guilty pleasure? Probably inventing Anna right now on Netflix. I'm fascinated by the lead actresses. Right? It's a Shonda Rhimes showrunner show, so it's always interesting to see the way she writes the script. But the lead actress has the weirdest accent that both bugs me and fascinates me. So right now, that's my, my current media guilty pleasure. Why, uh, why is it your guilty pleasure? What's, um, what's guilty about it? Oh, because it's a totally, okay. So Shonda Rhimes is a great writer, but at this point in time, I know all her tricks. So I, you know, it's one of those things where 
I know I should look for better better TV content, but I'm still watching it. So there you go. Hey, you all need to uh, sometimes turn off, and that is why those kind of media experiences are so important. So the, the other side of that, what media do you turn to when you, you really want to get inspired? You want to get pumped up? Quartz, um, Quartz reporting is probably the best. If I want to feel smarter in the world, I, I tap Quartz. I have a full, I've, I've been a fan of them for like five, six years since they launched. Um, they do really, really, really good in-depth analysis. They are also really, really good at stupid little factoids. So mm-hmm. you know, for somebody who, you know, is, is a recovering quiz show, entry person yeah I, I have actually appeared on two quiz shows it's exactly my bag so t- tell us a little bit more about about the pl- is it a platform is it a publishing house is it an app Quartz is a full-on sort of a news organization that also has a web- started off as a website um also publishes a newsletter but actually um when trump was in power they actually had um they actually had a conversational app where you could get the sort of news feed conversationally. And there was actually a button that you could press that you could block anything that actually you could take a break from Trump news. That is absolutely fascinating. I will I will check it out. Um, and of course, all of your your meaningful media choices, as with all our guests, will be uh, included in the show notes. Right. You, can, <laughs> you can only have one media platform for the rest of your life. Which one is it? My Oculus. I mean, why not? I mean, if you're going to be <laughs> you're going to be limited to one thing, have the thing that actually unlocks the imagination. So yeah, totally. I'm going to make it a bit harder. You can choose one app within the Oculus. What is it? Oh, probably National Geographic. Really interesting. Oh, do you not want to hike down the Grand Canyon on a, on the back of a mule? Because I do. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. That was an absolutely fascinating conversation. We covered so much. <laughs> oh, thank. Well, I'm just talking to you. plenty of food for thought about that rich and fascinating conversation with Sarah. We'd love to hear what you think about any of the points raised during my chat with Sarah. Drop us a line. Our email is podcast at haveasmg.com. That's podcast at haveasmg.com. And follow us on the socials. You'll find all the addresses in the show notes. And do remember to follow and subscribe to the Meaningful Media podcast so you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks for being with us. I'm Ben Downing. Join us next time as we explore more facets of meaningful media, media that matters today. I wonder if they'll have podcasts in the metaverse. I do hope so.